0: Hello, and welcome to episode 413 of The Crate and Crowbar. My name is Chris Thurston, and joining me this evening is Jamie Britton. Hello. Hello. Wow, that was a big, big old spike on, uh, on the, the wobbly wave thing. I haven't recorded one of these in a long time, and every single thing about it feels new, which is remarkable for something I've been doing for almost, like, 11 years. <laughs> coming in hot. Coming in hot, Coming in loud. <laughs> um, really, I mean, hopefully by the time you listen to this coming in expertly, uh, you know, noise manipulated by Marsh. Thanks, Marsh. Um, etc. How are you, Jamie? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Thank you very much. Good. How are you? Good. Yeah. Um, I realized, uh, just as we, we sat down to record this, maybe like we're in the same place as I sat down to record this, I don't know if you're seated or not. Um, I'm assuming you are. And if not, good for you um <laughs> no one asked uh, what was I talking about uh, that it has been two months since I've recorded an episode of print Gra which might be the longest I've ever ever gone um so it's uh yeah it's nice to be back it is nice I will say to have an opinion about a piece of media I think my time and maybe I'll return to this a little bit later on my time in the last couple of months has been really spent having no thoughts um a lot of that time spent lying sideways on the floor looking at my phone having no thoughts and that will be pertinent to one of the games i want to talk about <laughs> um uh, but yeah i got i've got some opinions about some things i've been playing and it's nice to remember that there's a venue in which i can kind of disgorge them thoughtlessly um yeah uh and uh, how about how about yourself uh, what has been the temperature of your own th- th- brain yeah, certainly. Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah.
1: The Steam Deck remains a really excellent kind of thing for. I've got to stop talking about it, but it really is on this podcast. But it really is just it, it's an excellent way of just keeping games kind of ticking along. Mm. You know, I played I played a ton of games over the last couple of weeks, even because it's so easy. You know, in this day and age, with your your Epic Game Store and all the free games that you get on there, to kind of have a go at something for five minutes, give up on it and then just move on um right. you know sort of i mean it's not necessarily the most you know wholesome experience really just sort of snacking down on little tidbits of bits of this and that but it's it's very good when you've got you know children and limited time um you know i played a bit of sonic mania today and that was nice mm, nice um, yeah it's that sort of thing really little yeah bits I've, been, bobs.
0: I've been wondering if it was if it was finally time for a steam deck for myself um that reason um partly because you know my ability to consume media i don't have children in fact i think right now i have probably fewer responsibilities than i've ever had which is kind of extraordinary but what i'm doing with that bonus time is simply um just lying sideways on the floor like i've said and um it's hard position it's a hard one of the harder postures from which to enjoy a pc game um <laughs> i have found um it's funny when we when we were, when, know, we were ch- when we were
1: children uh, not together, obviously, I didn't know you back then, but when, no. when we were separate children in, in different parts <laughs> of the world, uh, um, you know, imagining what video games were going to be like in the future and all our kind of dreams of... Like a bunch of them came true, right? Like virtual mm-hmm. reality helmets and, and stuff like that. But then, like, the amount of gaming that was going to be done lying down in bed, like, just sort of horizontal positions... Uh, I don't think that ever occurred to us. <laughs> I don't think the the amount of like
0: weight we yeah, would put on the ground. But I mean, I think I think as a child, a separate child elsewhere in the world, which is um, <laughs> yeah, a great to clarify, We were yeah. not the same child <laughs> exactly. Before the before the uh, the act of severance that <laughs> hived us into two independent entities and erased our memories of having been a single gestalt creature. They called it um, the schism. Yeah, they, before the schism, um, getting <laughs> some law <lore> here. Um, <laughs> prior to the schism, uh, which is a capital S, if you're wondering, or if you're taking notes at home, or if you're um, a fan of the band Tool, <laughs> indeed, um, or even if you're not, um, it's a lowercase t. Um, it's not actually. Um, uh, I think that we also weren't really anticipating simply how tired it was possible to become (laughs) you know what I mean you know what I mean that wasn't like that wasn't my dream as I was sat cross-legged on my friend's sofa playing Sonic 2 in fact um you know I think one of the closest I came to like having a very strong opinion about a game recently was like I hit a point of minimal of maximum not wanting to think about things anymore. Because I have actually, the contrary to that is like I spent a lot of time reading in the last couple of months. And that has been, you know, I think I had a bit of a lull of like reading things I was finding really edifying. And breaking back into that has been genuinely nice. Um, But I think I'm naturally someone who swings between extremes. So one of the ways that I managed to counterbalance the part of me that was read a whole bunch of Ursula Gwyn and was really, really feeling that side of things and kind of uh, feeling very inspired by it was for some reason, I just bought some chicken and chips and watched the sonic 2 film (laughs) by myself um and uh, that really did it really did take me back to being a a child to the extent that um i was like suddenly sat cross-legged on the couch uh um six years old again quite enjoy it's actually quite enjoyable i quite liked it but um but yeah that um the the goal what what I would describe is it helped me establish what an American would describe as the delta um, between these experiences, <laughs> and the, the the delta is composed of uh, physical mass and fatigue, <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, and so in many ways that movie uh, Sonic the Hedgehog two with uh, James Marston and all the rest um, was the scalpel that allowed me to hive. Or to, to sever myself, or establish uh, from the uh, uh, different child elsewhere in the world that I used to be.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's funny playing through uh, Sonic Mania and mm. remaining that, um, uh, uh, and remembering that uh, you know uh, Sonic games. You get to the boss. The, the, the level music fades out and then the Dr. Robotnik mm. music fades in da, 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 da. and realizing that that still like sends a shiver of anxiety through my body because <laughs> one time in 1993 or whenever Sonic 3 came out, me and Jake McLennan, um, a different mm. person spent a whole weekend trying to beat Sonic 3 and it was actually a really upsetting experience <laughs> right. we, we managed it in the end But I remember lying in bed that night and literally hallucinating Sonic running around my ceiling of my bedroom um, and having that music play in my ears. And then just booting Sonic Mania earlier today for 20 minutes and having that music transport me back to uh, pre-schism times.
0: Was Was the nature of that stress partly like, did it destroy your friendship? Um... Did you fight each other in the middle of that?
1: I think we were never the same. Yeah, I don't think we were mm. ever the same. We were just altered.
0: Well, no, we know you were different children. We've covered that bit. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I say that only because um, Sonic 3 was the, the territory in which many, the, the many elements of my friendship with uh, Christian Vos were navigated. Um, <laughs> but it was also the experience. Actually, I was grateful to Sonic 3 for one specific thing, um, which was when we were playing Sonic 2, it was very clear that in the dynamic of that friendship aged six that I was the Tails. Much as much as I had previously been the Robin, um, I was then the Tails. <laughs> yeah, the introduction... I was the Tails
1: because it was his mega drive. <laughs> so I, I had to be Tails. Yeah. I wanted to I wanted to be the supportive person, you know? Mm-hmm. I wanted to be the backup guy. I was okay not taking the lead. I think and I, I simply mo- just
0: knew I was the Tails. <laughs>
1: And there's a moment at the end of that game, right, where to fight the final boss, Tails can't go with Sonic. Sonic has to fight Robotnik naked and alone um, with just his trainers. (laughs) And and Tails, no matter how hard you try, even though he can fly, Tails cannot go into that final fight. Um, I think that was the moment when I finally grew up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I, I do know exactly the feeling you're referring to, which is kind of extraordinary. <laughs> I've not felt that in a long time. Um, but I was grateful to Sonic 3 for the introduction of Knuckles, who is actually also present in the film Sonic the Hedgehog 2, played by Idris Elba for some reason. Um, <laughs> dreamcasting. And it is absolutely dreamcasting. Um, and, um, um, and obviously, like, as soon as Knuckles became uh, playable, um, it gave me a th- an option you know what I mean? To step up into a new role, uh, really in myself, but also in particularly (laughs) in that friendship dynamic, um, which was not possible for us in the Batman universe that we previously ran around in where I decided eventually to be Alfred, um, (laughs) as an attempt to escape. Interestingly, not to tie a huge bow on this or anything, but, um, right as, as we crossed over into the new year, I I spent the, the new year at a fairly demented, uh, party that stemmed out of uh, an evening performance of uh, a, a, an immersive theatre show by the theatre company Point Strunk. I saw the uh, latest show, which I've seen a few times, and then it became a New Year's party. It was amazing. I was there with my sister and uh, another good friend. And um, I I asked my sister afterwards, um, you know, we were discussing like what, what, what 2023 might bring. And And it was like, you know, it has to be, you know, it has to be different. It has to be, you know, it's a new year. And I don't want to put too much weight on the calendar year changing, but maybe just maybe this could be a different one. And she said, or it could be 2022 and knuckles, (laughs) which is (laughs) like drilled into my mind now as a phrase. It's very good. It is very good. Um, Kudos to her for that very good phrase. But now I've that's like a principle that I hadn't realized. That has helped me. Like discovering that there's a long German word for something, that has helped Mm. me realize that that's a, um, that sense of like, but what if this just happened again, but more? Didn't have a (laughs) phrase for me. And the uh, flip open top cartridge of Sonic and Knuckles that you could plug other Sonic games into and it made them demented. That's, um... That's a good metaphor for, for yeah, life, I, was, I think, in some way. I was
1: sort of thinking it's kind of the Chad Sonic, the Virgin Tales, and the Gammaverse <laughs> um, <laughs> Knuckles. <laughs> <laughs> Can't in and shaking things up.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, is there a joke in the fact that the top flip's open? I don't know. Um <laughs> Maybe. Um, Steam decks, though. Uh, yeah, they're I, great. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was—I um, I hadn't seen one in real life until I was in London in November uh, with friend of Pod, good friend, uh, Paul Scott Canavan. Um, and he had brought his down from with him from Scotland. He showed it to me and it was very impressive. They're also fucking massive. Yeah, they are big boys. Down. Yeah. Big but yeah. Boys. You know, when the Switch came out, people were like, this console is too small for my tiny hands. And I was like, this is the perfect size for my normal sized hands. I picked up the Steam Deck and went. This is too big for my tiny hands. So um, I don't know if I mean that might be the obstacle. I don't you know what your good, hand situation
1: is. You get good, like um, you know, if you go to the gym. Not that I do, but like, and you no. get off the you get off the treadmill. I believe they call that particular contraption. Mm-hmm. And for a, for a moment, your sense of like momentum is so warped that you, when you're walking along normally, you feel like weird. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's just a thing I have, but you get a similar thing when you go from a. Steam Deck to a Switch like you have a weird like perspective shift like that shot in <laughs> jaws because, <laughs> because you're expecting something bigger in your hands but what you have uh-huh. in your hands is in
0: fact smaller <laughs> This is the, this is the gamma knuckles again <laughs> Exactly No you are gamma knuckles with his yeah, big absolutely. hands It's a running it's a running thing in that movie how big his hands are Really So really like honestly this this we may be approaching like a platonic perfect bit Like this has been like 13 <laughs> minutes of this shit Um, Honestly, it's all coming back to me now It's like I've never been gone Why is he called Knuckles? Because of his
1: big hands, of course
0: (laughs) Exactly, yeah His large knuckles Um, He does have large knuckles and he used them to punch And fly um, And fly (laughs) It's not explained how he could fly (laughs) Sheer force of will They're they're kind of Buoyancy aids as well, that's the thing, right Like um, Mm. (laughs) You know what a strange what a strange universe that is and um but i do recommend the film i think honestly honestly it's a it's uh it feels like have you seen it any of the Sonic movies I,
1: see, I saw the first one i thought it was okay
0: yeah i thought it was okay as well it was like it was the i think i saw it the same night i saw the kenneth Branagh death on the nile and i liked sonic more
1: <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> and that's, that's a very that's a specific meal those two you know Absolutely. they're both very yeah. rich and yellow, would be the yes. way I'd describe them. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> That's a very bad movie, The, the Death on the Nile. I was yeah, I was quite shocked by how bad it was.
0: Um, it was like one of these movies had Jim Carrey eating an entire set in front of <laughs> your eyes, and that was a delight. And the other movie had a whole group of actors only allowed to nibble their little corner of it, and I felt that was a shame. <laughs> I've seen, I've, seen
1: that, it. I've seen that clip in Sonic 2. Is it Tim Robinson playing like the original trailer Sonic? Yeah. Um, which I thought was very funny. <laughs> I've seen a clip of that. That's good.
0: Yeah. Um, it's it's fun. Jim Carrey's really good in them. Like, I mean, I think I realized watching it that it was like, oh man, I would have adored this if it had come out in the nineties. And I think one of the reasons for that is because it feels like a kid's movie from the nineties, like the um, Power Rangers movie or something like that, where it's like, yeah. it's like, and it's interesting because nowadays they're not really selling anything. You know what i mean like it's not like a a toy advert of like the old the 90s batman movies for example it's like they're really i mean i imagine they're merchandised to shit so maybe they are but like the kind of it's something odd to me about this era of like nostalgia children's movies of like kids aren't going and playing sonic 2 after this are they (laughs) you know are they no they're not no oh this this you know but maybe the young dads watching this are, <laughs> Like, maybe that's what they need. Well, the yeah, it's is, quite kind know. of
1: a weirdly half-hearted um, attitude to Sonic that they have, that make, you know, that Sega have anyway. Like, mm. obviously, they had this game out this year, but, like... Like, lots of bad games over a long period of time. Yeah. No real sense of coordination. It's not like, you know, here's the first Sonic movie and here's a really, like, definitive and new take on Sonic that all the kids are going to get into. It's just nothing. It's just tumbleweeds.
0: Yeah, right. It's interesting. Like, I, I, I was thinking about this the other day because, I mean, like, I, I really don't have a huge Nintendo connection in my soul, to be honest. And um, I've realised that, like, if I if I looked back on things that I loved as a child... Um, that are still sort of knocking around in pop culture, like Star Wars and Sonic and um, Batman and 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 Spider Man uh, and the X Men. It's like all of these things are like seventy to eighty percent horse shit. Yeah, <laughs> but I like them anyway. And it'll be interesting one day to try and chart the kind of what it what was it that made me go like, No Mario for me, Mother. I have to play a bad game. Um, and I think the answer might be honestly that I, I think I was just always drawn to them because they created a sense of a world that I didn't get from other things necessarily, a world with casinos in it <laughs> loop-de-loops um, well, <laughs> I mean it's funny to take the X-Men as an
1: example because like mm-hmm. you know they've been, they were pretty constant movies you know some sort of since the end of the 90s but a kind of increasing sense that no one really knew what to do with them and mm-hmm. they've been like so wholeheartedly replaced by the kind of you know the comics, the Marvel comics and properties that you know. I was an X Men mm. comics kid; those are the ones I loved. Yeah. And no one they, they've just sort of given up, and I think they're probably walking very back to it very slowly in the MCU. Um, you know, into going back to like you know full fat X Men at, at some
0: point, mm-hmm.
1: but like as there is a,
0: skimmed X Men. Yeah, um. yeah,
1: absolutely. We've been <laughs> yeah. doing a lot of skimmed X Men, like UHD X Men. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's just so weird because they're such a. You know, in, in many ways they're perfect, but for some mm-hmm. reason, the weird way in which the MCU has been built, the X Men are just completely redundant.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah, or it's exposed to the particular way in which they're always a bit redundant. But that's yeah. what I always loved about them. Like, yeah. you know, the, the the short version is like, I just always loved that like the Marvel Universe is a universe of superheroes and this group of superheroes who can't stop complaining about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, like the theater kids of that universe just like fainting and, you know, needing each other, like, you know, um, sort of swooning over everything. I think that's kind of where my heart was always drawn. Anyway, um, anyway. yeah, you know, um, 100% agree. I think. What we're we talking about? I'm sure we a game we've both played? Should we do that? Yeah, let's uh, I see. Think that. Twenty minutes in time to do get... um, There was a nice surprise <laughs> today. Uh, it was a, and this is actually nice because it also doubles as news. Um, uh, today, uh, or was it yesterday? Um, yeah, it was, it
1: was. It's Thursday the 26th today, and it was yesterday
0: that they sure, dropped it. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I think I probably forgot to say the date, didn't I? Um, well, there you go. Uh, all of a sudden. Um, hi-fi rush uh, by tango gameworks um, who did evil within and a few other games um, just sort of came out out of nowhere um, it's on pc it's on game pass and it's on xbox i think because it's published by bethesda therefore microsoft therefore somewhat exclusive um, and uh i played i think we played the same amount i played basically it's basically the first hour until we're basically after the first boss yes um today um, and I don't, I don't want to wish you to talk about what it is, but I was really impressed by it. Um, really taken with it.
1: Yes, I mean, one thing I'd say is that this, the thing where games drop out of nowhere, is just one of the best things. Um, yeah, it doesn't happen often enough for kind of understandable reasons, to be honest. Like I get it, but like uh, it is wonderful that like. You know, especially with a with a you know thing you don't have to buy if you've already got you know Game Pass to go. Like here's this really like bright and shiny and colourful yeah new game for you to have a go on, and you didn't know it existed, <laughs> but here it is, boom. Um, yeah, and that's a that's a wonderful thing. I can't remember it happening really since like you know Apex Legends or something like that. Even that had a bit of a mm. lead up. This one came out completely out of nowhere, and it's just a great thing. I think.
0: Yeah, I wonder if like. You know, I appreciate we've we've sort of wrung our hands a little bit over the years about like the age of subscription models and game passes and that kind of thing. If one of the potential benefits of it is it means that a game can get away with launching without marketing, or at least obviously there's trailers and things now, but you know, without a big run up, then and that's an experience we get. Actually, it's quite cool, quite like it. Um, let's talk about what it is. So, um, it Hi Rush is a um uh very sort of bright and stylized um sort of uh action adventure brawler um in its in it's kind of like level structure and bones it's a devil may cry really um uh as a kind of combo brawler plus 3d exploration and some playful 2d exploration and things like that um that has probably the the aesthetic sensibility of like a jet set radio um but the mechanics of uh, an increasingly popular thing to explore, a rhythm game. So it has a very similar attack on the beat mechanic to uh, Metal Hellsinger, for example, and a number of other games that have done uh, the same sort of thing recently. Um, you uh, play as a young man who goes to a, like, corporate robo factory island to participate in a voluntary get a robot limb program (laughs) but whose ipod falls into the robot machine with him and gets stamped into his chest giving him the ability to perceive the underlying rhythm of the world which is kind of dope um and um yeah, like there's a, there's a few things I would dig into about it, but first and foremost, I thought it was interesting in 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 a, in a week that's had a little bit of discourse about sort of uh, banter in games and, and writing in games. This is very, it's, this is kind of presented like a Saturday morning cartoon. It's it's very bright and charming, and but it does have a fair number of cutscenes and it is fairly talky. And I have found myself surprised to be consistently really enjoying it. And really like, it has made me, I don't know if I've like laughed out loud, but I've chuckled, I would say, at some of its sight gags and, and kind of presentation. And like, um, that's that's a very pleasant thing to discover. So it feels very, very high production value and is also kind of edifying in that way. I don't know if, if your experience is similar.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I just thought it made an <clears throat> incredibly charming first impression. Um, you know, uh, you know, I will admit that when the first cutscene was playing, I was getting a bit antsy because I am a twenty twenty three boy, and I don't like being made to wait for my chips. Um, but actually, um, you know, it, it, when you get when you find the rhythm of it, and, the, and and not even the rhythm of the game, but the kind of narrative rhythm of it, it's done with such a sense of fun and playfulness and energy um, mm. that it's really, really irresistible. You just you can't ha- you can't help just really enjoy it. Everything's done with such a sense of playfulness and good humor um that i just you know the loading screen has you know little notes coming out of a cat's ass which you know ideal is, yeah is really funny it made me smile every time for the hour i played it and uh it's little touches like and just like the level of polish is just so sky high mm. um uh that it does sort of speak to the uh the pre-schism in you you know it sort of speaks to the little kid <laughs> um saturday morning cartoon is, is a perfect example um and everything's kind of bold and, and camp and and over the top uh and yeah it just it, it feels really like a kind of warm place to be
0: yeah it's interesting as well because like it's got like a it's principally like a rock soundtrack and there is licensed music in it um so it's like some black keys at the start i think the first boss is nine inch nails um, and it's interesting because like i genuinely believed that the rhythm games of a previous era particularly the noughties things you know not maybe not just rhythm games but the sort of music adjacent games like brutal legend had like really exhausted like rock as a baseline for this sort of experience and actually it really works it was really kind of charming i think the i think the kind of anime stylings of it really helped with that as well um they do some really cool things with like Um, I believe they're doing something with variable frame rate for characters versus the environment, um, which helps things really feel like a cartoon. Um, It really looks great. Um, And, yeah, little details like, so, you know, there's this beat underlying the level and everything, it's not just the combat system. Every single thing in the game is moving to that beat. So they're very cleverly synced up. Sometimes that's really, like, you know, apparent in terms of, like, if, if you're doing a platforming section that has platforms that appear and disappear, they're going to appear and disappear on the beat or in relation to the beat in some way. But it's also, like, the motion of the trees, lights, um, other mechanical elements in the environment are all at all times moving to that rhythm. And it even kind of explicitly tells you, like, you can press select to switch on an actual, like, beat track that you can see but it even encourages you not to use that because you can just pay attention to the environment instead. And if you are uh, also confused, you have a flying robot cat friend that's also a metronome. So (laughs) that helps as well. Um, But yeah, I really like it. I thought it was
1: like, it's the really clever thing it does that I don't think I've seen done before is that your character acts on the beat anyway. So Mm. if you attack and, and attack enemies, It's locked into the beat, so it has a nice sense of rhythm to it. But your score goes up, basic, and your special moves are more available if you hit the beat yourself. Mm. Um, So I thought that was just a really clever way of kind of getting around the idea of perfect play for these games. That you know you're you're still urged to hit the beat perfectly, and there's and there's kind of special moves to be had that way. But you're not, for example, if you're not necessarily someone who's you know finds rhythm that easy. you know, you're not locked out of the game. You can still have fun. And I think the 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 sort of um, margin of error on how you hit the beat feels very generous as well. And actually, I was playing it the only way I could um, on, on my Steam Deck over um, uh, Xbox cloud gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and often rhythm games are no good over cloud gaming because of the lag and stuff like that. But it was actually perfectly playable um, to the point where I wondered if they'd actually done a bit of work under the hood to optimize it you know, for that environment because it felt um you know, really, really seamless. You know, couldn't really tell the difference. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um I um it's like I think I think maybe like I haven't quite gotten in under the hood of it in terms of like really wanting to dig into the technicalities of its combat system. I'm trying to think of something bad to say, basically. But like and I think I think the the boss fight, that first boss fight for me did expose some of the what feels like the slight kind of impress some feeling of like slight imprecision, I think, in terms of like really lining up things in 3D space. But the vibe of it was also immaculate and I really liked that. The other thing it reminds me of is um Elite Beat Agents, which is a game I adored. Like that's the kind of rhythm game for the Nintendo DS. And it has some of the same spirit to it as well. I really love that playfulness and sort of sense of humour mixed with licensed music particularly. Um yeah, I yeah. mean, what it doesn't have is, like,
1: I mean, my I think my favourite rhythm game maybe is um, uh, Thumper, which is just mm. this extraordinary thing. And, like, the boss battles in that game, um, you know, you feel like you've sort of had some sort of metal bolt driven into your brain that's sort of twisting round and round, and you're trying to sort of, you know, catch on the rhythm of, of that, and it makes those boss battles some of my favourite things in games, I think, in Thumper, Mm. because you feel like you're being transformed (laughs) into this, like, terrified robot trying to hit these mad rhythms. And you you almost feel kind of mechanical as you're doing that, I find, because it sort Mm. of hurts your head in this way that kind of twists you into this form. Whereas this game's kind of, yeah, I thought that last boss battle lacked a bit of that. Like that would, I mean, maybe it's something that the game adds on as you go. It'll be interesting Mm. to see. But more, you know, more of an expectation of some kind of um, perfect play might be interesting. Because I think, you know, I was hoping that there would be you know, maybe a tad more kind of mechanical fireworks, or a bit more of a sense of reward for that last boss. Um, but you, you really just have to, you know, knock its knock its HP down and do a couple of QTEs. Yeah. Um, and it would be nice if there was, you know, I mean, like um, the Devil May Cry games have that as well. Like, mm-hmm. there's like a usually a pretty simple sequence that you need to pull off, but it feels satisfying when you when you get it. Whereas this was just a tad too friendly.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, but I mean, it's like I can see them. I can see the value in that, though, because actually, like, there is, you know, it's interesting that, like, a lot of my favorite games like this, I love part, in part because of the music anyway, right, that applies to Devil May Cry, including the Ninja Theory, Devil May Cry, it applies applies to Bayonetta, things like Metal Gear Rising, Revengeance, right, there's all of the, this is a genre that's always enjoyed, like, dropping a song during a boss fight, basically, Um and I don't think you necessarily need to be playing to the rhythm to find yourself playing to the rhythm in those yeah. moments. And so it's sort of interesting that like um, in a way it works for me that this is also a kind of accessible way into that game. Cause it's also like talking about um, pre-schism living or whatever it was that we're talking about. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, it is, it's a, it's a, it's a real video game ass video game they made, you know, yeah. like it's, you know, just smacking boxes with your sword that's kinda of, it's a guitar it's a flying V guitar to get, you know sort of gobbly, twinkly collectibles that you can use for upgrades and then doing a double jump over a platform to see a funny robot. Like it's got a bit of ratchet and clank to it, I think, as well. Like I was just about to mention yeah. ratchet
1: and clank. Yeah. It has it yeah. has that, that kind of that sort of vibe to it. I think um uh, this is a spoiler for the sort of last thing that happens in that first level, but I think it might be my favourite thing that happens. Um, so skip ahead if if you don't want to hear, mm. but after you you beat that first boss and he self-destructs and your character scrabbles to get away and then gets blasted by the explosion towards the screen. And then what happens is, is that time slows down and your character's scream turns into a growl and your character is just sort of slowly flying towards the screen while your score mm. he, uh, reads out just next to him. I just thought that was hilarious. Yeah, that I really, really like me that moment as well. Yeah, because it's I, the
0: bit where like it would normally be like you, you strike a pose and the S rank appears. And he's just yeah. like open mouth going, ah, as he kind of flies past <laughs> it. It's very good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it made, it, made, it was so good it made me turn off the game because I
1: felt really satisfied by it, you know. Um, <laughs> Hang on. Just,
0: what, is that your reaction to something good happening in a game?
1: <laughs> well, I, I guess what I mean is it felt like such a complete little nugget mm. of a game. You know that I was just—I felt really comfortable in turning it off. Like I don't didn't feel like I had to play any more. Right that second, um, it felt like I'd watched a little episode of something, and 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 felt comfortable turning it off rather than feeling like I had to play more. Or you know, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but like it, just it, like, just that kind of feeling of like that was a really lovely experience that I can definitely go back to. But I've had a little a lovely. I've had my chips now. You know, I've had a big bowl of chips, and, right. I, and I'm and I'm pleased. <laughs>
0: It, it, it's it's striking to me though that like i i would say i mean i i, I respect that and I, I even admire it because i'm not sure that the traditional experience of like i've had some chips and one lovely nugget i shall stop now is how most <laughs> people's experiences of nuggets work you know what i mean <laughs> like i'm i'm pretty sure if if more people were like you mcdonald's would be fucked um The thing
1: the thing is is what you're not understanding is that in the time it takes people to decide whether or not they're gonna have another have a nugget, I've already eaten all the nuggets. <laughs> like right. I, I I compress time in that sense. <laughs> <laughs> so I've 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 eaten plenty of nuggets, don't you worry.
0: Okay. I mean I, I mean it's like I'm imagining some sort of like smart bomb nugget destruction <laughs> alt. You know? <laughs> yeah, I would say that's my superpower, definitely. Cool. Um, that's actually That'd be, we can, I'll segue from that later. I'm going to segue from that in like an, half an hour. We'll just, yeah, you're you know, going to put we'll the segue in the bank. Yeah, exactly. Um, can you bank a segue? <laughs> uh, I think you just fall off. Um, uh, <laughs> <clears throat> uh, was this? Uh, so yeah, I, I, so honestly, like I've only played that first hour. I really liked it. Um, I, I, I want to go back to it. It was like, it was... Um, yeah, just a just a very bright, fun, charming, um, very accessible. It was like a rare kind of game where you could like recommend it to basically anyone because it's like, do you like do you like a funny robot cat and um just extremely well animated yelling? Yeah, then I l- I like there it the is. moment
1: where you realise that he is basically Iron Man, but mm. instead of uh you know a reactor in his heart where his heart should be, it's an iPod. Yeah, that's just very right.
0: funny. <laughs> it is very funny. Yeah, it's like, I, and it's great that it's dropped out of nowhere as well because I had no preconceptions, you know. And it's just like now a cool thing exists that didn't exist two days ago. Well, obviously yeah. it did. It was probably really <laughs> hard to make, but like you know, um, my experience of it, the one that matters to me, is that, and that's um, that's very kind of edifying. So yeah, good job Tango Gameworks for you know. There's a nice bit in the um, in the trailer. Uh, they put out where it says like from the makers of the evil within and then just in brackets yes really um like because it's (laughs) like couldn't be more different tonally and i thought that was quite playful and fun Uh, it also feels like a development team having fun which is a nice feeling to get and i think about that a lot in games because it's such a collaborative multidisciplinary medium that not always the case that you can kind of feel a team having fun and that's not to say that I'm, you know, I, I'm imagining there was some interesting problems to solve in the making of this game and, and I, uh, probably some tough days in that. But it successfully gives the feeling of that kind of kind of breezy creativity, which is really nice to see.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's a similar feeling to, I think you mentioned it, but like booting up Sonic 1, you know, mm. and that that game just sort of assaults you with energy and color and good vibes, um, you know, and it, it can be a very effective <laughs> yeah. Um, tool. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um... Yeah, like even in um, in um, Hi Fi Rush, like speaking of great idle animations, like the, the classic Sonic Finger Wag is, is one of them. But in um, Hi Fi Rush, while you're not doing anything, the character is always tapping his feet and clicking his fingers. And it's just such a great little animation, like the kind of that beat being so manifest in the world. Um, it's real good. What we should do is talk about the other game we've both been playing, which is none of the above. It's absolutely <laughs> none of the previous things we've said back to the beginning of this podcast.
1: Yes, it's, it's, it's very much the opposite game to Hard Fire Rush. You'd be hard-pressed to find two more diametrically opposed um, games, really.
0: <laughs> I'm trying to think if there's any segue at all there, really. It's like, and I'm, I'm not sure there is, um, other than to say that like whatever side of the schism you thought we were speaking about, the childhood <laughs> side of it, let's go to the other side of it, completely uh, the other side of it. Absolutely. So we're
1: talking about... Um, Burnhouse Lane, which is the new game from Harvester Games, which is mostly a guy called Rem Mikowski I just wanted to get his name right. Um, and he's a, a Polish developer, I think, um, who spent quite a lot of time in uh, the UK one way or another in his life. Um, and I was aware of a few of his other games. I think I'd watched someone stream um, The Cat Lady, which is um, pretty similar um, to... He's very much uh, you know, a guy who does one particular type of game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd, i watched someone stream that and, and it's, and I thought it was very impressive. Um, but, uh, I saw on Twitter that this had come out and I wanted to give it a go and I was so pleased I did. So it's, um, all his games are kind of, um, like, like I say, the same vibe. They're basically point and click adventures. Um, you play, um, a character who mostly is sort of walking left and right, um, along scenes, um. And all of his games have a kind of um, obsession with sort of death and suicide and all of the kind of most abuse, a bunch of sort of dark, dark topics. Um, As this game begins, you are this young woman um, called, I have forgotten her name. Angie Weather. Angie Weather. Uh, And I think it's exactly the same way the Cat Lady starts. um, In many ways, it's with a suicide attempt. Uh, You are a nurse. um, You fell in love with one of your patients who was dying of cancer. Uh, and then, in a horrible twist, after he died, you, was, you yourself were diagnosed with lung cancer, which isn't that surprising because the way you save your game <laughs> in this is by smoking cigarettes. Um, and you're, you know, you, the first thing you do in the game is try and kill yourself. You try and hang yourself. Um, uh, this is all in the opening minutes. And then you decide, after failing to commit suicide, that you're going to go and work as a nurse for an old man in the West Country. And you drive to his farm. Uh, and you're sort of going to be alone in the house with this guy, um, and like all his other games, what happens sort of early on is you get a kind of exposure to a sort of David Lynch style other place, which is the Burnhouse Lane um, of the title, and uh, you're given the task of well, I'll just say you're given a you're given a task to complete um, by an entity that you find there. Um, I was so impressed by this game. It really caught me off guard. Um, even though it has um, an incredibly um, bleak sort of um, lens in, in kind of everyone is a serial killer in this game. Everyone's suffering from horrible things are happening to them or they're going to do horrible things to other people. I found it to be a really emotional and vivid um, experience that I found really quite powerful in the end. Um, I think part of it is that, it's, I've been thinking about this a lot over the last few days, I'm thinking about what it is that I responded so much in the game, and I, the word I keep coming to is adolescent, which is a weird mm. word to use, because it sounds, like a, uh, it sounds like a criticism, but it's really not. I think I find it adolescent, because it has a kind of obsession with the, bleak side of life and the mm-hmm. kind of horrible, the most horrible things in the world, death and abuse and murder and all the, all the worst things. But it also has an adolescent hope to it and an adolescent sense of expressing yourself in the in the way that only you can, a really personal sense of expression and a really personal take on the world that is in no way like platitudinal or condescending or pat but is just a really um, sort of bleak and beautiful take on the way someone sees things um, and I was so taken in by the game and you know the characters you meet in it you know the, the game does a very clever thing of like when you meet someone or you meet a new character you make an assumption about them and the game doesn't do a really sort of simple narrative twist on that, like, oh actually this person's not so bad, or actually this this, this nice seeming person is actually terrible. It is more confident and more weird than most games would be, and allows mm. these characters to be troubled and imperfect and unresolved in their lives, um, in ways that I just think is really unusual to see anywhere, to be honest, um, in TV or in or in games. And that I just found so evocative, um, and and kind of drew me into this world. And like as I say, it's this bleak world, and it's kind of episodic. You do all sorts of stuff, and there's quite a lot of combat in it, which I wasn't expecting. Like mm-hmm. quite a lot of gunplay, which is is really good fun, actually. Um, you know, and there's quite a lot of wonk and wonk and jank, and there's a couple mm. of bits which which I found a bit frustrating. But actually, in terms of the story it told and the kind of characters you meet and the themes it evoked, yeah, I was just so deeply sold on it um, and really engaged with all the, all the characters within, in a way that I can't quite remember feeling about a, a kind of game of this sort of scope. I think another thing I really loved about it is the voice acting. It feels mm. like most of them are non-professional actors or they sound like non-professional actors and that again just makes it feel really personal and real rather than feeling amateurish in any way really it just feels incredibly um individual and i keep finding different synonyms for that (laughs) word but it just felt like a, a single person's expression of how they felt about the world and not a single person trying to explain how they think should things should go or things should be um so, yeah, I was just knocked out by it, to be honest.
0: Awesome. What did you make of the writing of interest? Uh,
1: Really good. I mean, actually, I saw on Twitter, he he, he said he wrote a script for this game that he, he normally doesn't, but he's actually written a, he wrote it as a screenplay, essentially, and had a look mm. at it. And, you know, I've read a lot of scripts in my time, and I've read a lot of um, bad scripts. Um. And it's not a bad script that he's written. The, the dialogue writing isn't necessarily the most sophisticated, but what it is, is um, confident. It's mm. confident enough to let things lie, to not resolve things constantly, to not um, have its characters try and get in front of you. I think a lot of the time with bad writing, you see, and that's part of the problem with like the discourse that's going on about Forspoken at the moment, is it's a sort of anxiety in the writing of the game. that It doesn't want you to you know, think ill of its characters or or judge them or, yeah. or or get the wrong idea about it. So it tries to make a kind of gag about it to kind of get ahead of you so that you're not going to do that. Whereas the writing in this game um, isn't worried about that at all. It, you know, it wants you to make the characters to make the wrong impression. It wants them to get off on the wrong foot and stay on the wrong foot um, and stay troubled. And, and yeah, that 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 was part of why it felt so unusual to me. Mm.
0: Yeah, I can I can totally see that. Like I think um so I have played the first fully through the first two chapters of it um now. So I've probably played for about two or three hours, I think. And this is on your recommendation as well. So it was, you know, in the last couple of days. And I also really like it. It's interesting because I think at times at times both the writing and the acting has occasionally pulled me slightly out of it, but not actually because of the quality of either and trying to pin down exactly what i mean i think well i think i think one thing is it's interesting there's a uh, lynch is the right comparison i think in some ways and there is a i think i think a slightly i don't want to call it a stage equality i think there's a stage equality to the writing in that um uh there there's a time there there are times where it's a it's interesting to have something that deals with so many kind of quite visceral and quite, um, you know, um, uh, real feeling issues in people's lives around illness and so on, um, but to also have characters who speak in a a fairly unpacked expository way, as if they're kind of sometimes talking through their own stage directions a little bit. Um, I don't think it, I don't think it doesn't work, but it's sort of an interesting. Um, Sort of stylistic thing that doesn't always land for me, particularly when coupled with um, the feeling that, like, sometimes I felt like I could feel the voice actors in their isolated booths or at their desks or whatever, and what it was that the performances that were recorded sort of not quite talking to each other, if that makes sense. You know, yeah. that it does sort of feel quite kind of lonely in that way, like it's not really kind of connected. But I would agree with you in saying that, like, that kind of creates a quality that it has, if that makes sense, rather than it being like this would have benefited from like a, a more professional setup or a slightly tighter script, even though I, I probably would argue that it that it might in some cases. But I find it hard to like sort of drill into it too much for that because genuinely it's like so strikingly its own thing. And I also, for what it's worth, completely agree with you that like it's, um, it is not sort of, um, it is, it strikes me as confident in what it is and also it's not cringing at it it's not worried that you'll find it overly sincere for example it just comes out of the gate you know totally kind of you know bloody overgrown heart on its sleeve and yeah. um you know and i think it's um and that's really very much to its credit there are scenarios i think um so I've just finished the second, it's it's, it's a tricky one to talk about without spoilers in some ways. I've just finished the second chapter and I think the word, uh, Adolescence is an interesting way of putting it. It's it's nice that that's drawn out as a quality. I think there are some situations or some sort of characterizations that I've just encountered that I did find like a little, not, I don't want to say goofy, but sort of so big as um, personalities in this, world that they sort of they took not they took me out of it but like i was sort of surprised by how um how theatrical it could become if that makes sense and i think that might be because from the beginning of the game which does start as you say with a very bleak very grounded in the moment depiction of someone's suicide attempt which is enormously loaded um and then goes on this journey to this other place and this increasing level of the fantastical, etc. I think I was constantly going through this journey of trying to sound out like, well, where is the, where are the boundaries of this? Like, where are the lines? Like, where should I expect it to go for high melodrama versus something more quiet and personal? And I think in that second chapter, some of it's sort of like big swings in terms of like real spectacular horror melodrama were quite surprising to me. Like yeah. I wasn't expecting it to go that far. Um, I think the best way i can explain this for the benefit of people who might not play the game of without spoilers is to say you're basically told i don't think this is a spoiler you know be on the lookout for a bad person basically mm-hmm. and that's against the backdrop that you've already said jamie about like this this kind of a world where everyone's somewhere on that you know journey um and i think that put me in this mode of like let's pay attention to the details let's really watch this (laughs) both with like my both with my like you know analysis brain like what what's what cues is the script giving me what is the the language of the characters giving me and then also like let's be let's in an in-character sense let's approach this more cautiously like what does this mean do i have now like a lens of suspicion of all the people around me and it did some things dramatically that i thought were quite clever in terms of (laughs) like Confusing that decision, and then when it became clear what the answer to that puzzle was, and it was actually not just obvious, but like you know, I mean, it'd be a bit like I'm trying to think of an analogy, it would be a bit like saying. It'd be a bit like, let's say, this is not what happens in the game, but let's say, you know, you you turned up to a uh, a dinner party and you were told, hey, before you were going in the door, someone was like, hey, there's something you need to know about one of my friends, but then the door closed and you had to, you, that's all you were left with. And you walked in and you were like looking around and there's some people, you know, some people you don't know. And you're like, okay, all right, I don't know, but now I'm in this kind of heightened mode. And then you looked over and then there was Dracula. <laughs> that's, that's the, that's the sort of, and then you're like, oh. Okay, I get it now. That's the experience I had <laughs> of this in that yeah. moment. Um, uh, I, I think that's as closest to not spoiling it as I can say. But like this, and it's not a Dracula thing. I would be had be nothing but praise if they they'd dropped a Dracula on me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know if you agree with that as an assessment. Of sometimes it's dramaturgy. It's kind of like, whoa, here we go. Like yeah, yeah. It
1: really, it's. I mean, it's incredibly uneven. Um, And you know, I I would, I would love it if you played the game all the way through to the end because Mm. it'd be fascinating to hear what you think. Because like that's just chapter two; (laughs) it goes (laughs) to some, it goes to some absolutely other places. Um, from there, you know, a genuinely sort of surprising and mad, um, experience. I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you on on all those counts. I think for me, like part of the reason why adolescent is the word that came to mind is because it's a bit like and i'm sure you've had this experience of like a really like a really good friend shows you a piece of writing that they've done yeah and, it, and it's like you read it and it's not a professional piece of writing but what it is is you know it can be a really powerful sort of feeling of like well this is this is like an externalized version of of my friend you know the mm. reasons i love my friend are laid out here in one way or another and that can be an incredibly kind of intimate experience the other the other example i would give is if you've ever been called on to go and watch a bunch of teenagers put on a play also Um,
0: yes
1: (laughs) yeah which is going to happen to you at least once in your life um and you go in there i mean i've done it as well with like friends who put on plays and you go in you sit down you go Whew, okay here we go this is just you know get through it and and it's going to be fine and afterwards <laughs> my friend always said the line you have to say when you go and sit through someone's terrible play is when they come up to you afterwards and say what do you think you have to say um you've done it again <laughs> that's, the, uh, kind of, <laughs> that's the kind of that's secret. a great one it is very good and you, I, you can only use it if someone doesn't know about this particular it's like Shit. a sort of uh, shibboleth um Yes, uh, but if you have, if you've ever done that as I have, and then you watch the play, and it's amateur, and it's obviously not you know the highest quality, but you end up and you come out and you go, you know what? That was fucking fantastic. I really enjoyed that. Mm. You know, not because it was high art, but because it was people doing something earnestly that they care about, and. For all its fuzzy edges and and flubbed lines, the humanity and the strength of feeling behind it shines through. And I think that's that's what I felt with this game. It's one of those weird mm. examples of something where the, the the sort of bits about it which don't work become sort of part of the part of the experience for me. Um, you know, characters are literally standing around talking about their feelings quite a lot in this game. Yeah, in a way that you would any editor. Literally any edit- editor would look at that script and say, well, this char- these characters are just stating their positions. They're stating their narrative positions mm-hmm. and they're doing it repeatedly. Why are they doing that? Um, and they'd have have a point, but also I think they'd rob the game of some of its kind of more numinous um, moments. Um, it would be interesting to see, you know, how you found the rest of the game because for me, I think I felt very similar, including with that example you mentioned about Dracula at the party. Um uh, but that became less a problem for me as the game went on, as I kind of start to buy into the logic of it um, even more. But I can totally imagine someone just getting increasingly more, <laughs> more annoyed um, with that aspect of it.
0: Yeah, it, and that, that, that example is really resonant. Like, I Because I, I actually had the experience fairly recently of, of going to a... A first screening of a a very very indie um folk horror movie that a friend of mine had a non-speaking role in and i really enjoyed it and it was that thing of like you know um even though it wasn't perfect by any means and genuinely being in the pub afterwards with the people who made the film being able to say honestly like you know i had a really good time and also and this is something i feel genuinely and it's not a line to kind of use when you've seen someone else's play but like I find myself increasingly grateful for people who've just made a thing. You know what I mean? Like we've made, you know, just the act of completing a creative project or putting something out there is pretty much always something to celebrate, um, particularly at that level of kind of enthusiasm and kind of personal stakes as well. So yeah, actually I actually hadn't thought of this in that light, but now that I am, I think I kind of gloss even more of its sort of rough edges and so on. But one thing I would say just to sort of like, rather than to talk about you kind of like the, some sites like side caveat laden things is, I think there's a lot of pretty great kind of production design going on in it. Like it has a really interesting combination of two D sort of marionette paper doll illustrated characters and backdrops, a bit of three D, um, almost like PlayStation era Resident Evil three D, <laughs> and relatively modern feeling like smoke and VFX and lighting. Yep. And the way those three completely different things are layered on top of each other um, is quite striking and it's very much its own thing. Um, and, you know, I think that's, that's a genuine quality, right? I'm caveat to layer on that. It's just, that's cool. No. And there's some, there's some real beauty in
1: there. Um, especially mm. later on in the game, there's some absolutely stunning um, uh, sort of sights to be, sites to be seen. There's one bit, and this is a, a minor spoiler for later on, where you um you go to a village. I think you go to the village of Honiton, which is a real village mm, in not uh, very far from me in in Devon, which I've been to. Mm. And uh, uh, the first part of the uh, the level, the first part of the chapter, is you just walk through um the village, and it's raining as it always is in <laughs> you know this country. And mm-hmm. yeah, you just walk through the village to where you need to go, um, and it's mostly silent. You just walk through. It's just beautiful, just just beautifully done, and yeah. captures. You know, there's nothing quite like the feeling of walking through a rainy village <laughs> in the West Country. Um, you know, in in on a kind of cold September evening, mm. um, and it captures it perfectly. I wonder if he, you know, has that kind of you know because he's from Poland and he grew up there and then moved here when he was sort of a young man and lived here for a while. You know, you do perhaps there is that slight sort of outside the um, kind of perspective on things a slightly more you know a, a less obvious perspective on things that gives it that that kind of real sort of attention to detail and character um you know picking out things that we might miss
0: yeah totally it's yeah it's interesting um i do have one bone to pick with it exactly one um so uh, on occasion in the game you're given the ability to build a sandwich <laughs> um there's a sandwich hey, construction I, th- mini game. I
1: think i think i might know where you're going with this i'm gonna make a little bet with myself to see okay. what this, bo- this particular bo- all is.
0: right okay so and the way this mini game works is you say prepare a sandwich and then you go to this like it's actually a very resident evil interface and i think it's conscious <laughs> it's like a plate and a knife in a spotlight you know the kind of the resi typewriter zoom in kind of thing um <laughs> And you pick five ingredients in any order. And if you're not making a demented sandwich, the first and the last are probably bread, right? Because these (laughs) things get piled on top of each other. You get a big list of ingredients and and you can be rewarded for making a sandwich that makes sense. Um, So I have successfully created both a BLT and a tuna mayo sandwich in this context. Those weren't my first attempt. In my first attempt, I added the following things to a sandwich. Bread, ham, cheese, Branston pickle, bread. That to me is a is a, is a fucking ordinary sandwich. And when I pressed confirm, the game went, you've made a weird sandwich. <laughs> and I was like, no, I fucking haven't. No, I fucking haven't. And I had to go back and make a different one because I wasn't going to be penalized for feeding poor old George, little old man, like some kind of like what the game had judged to be some sort of outré, you know, lunch decision when what I had made was a ham, cheese and pickle sandwich. And genuinely, it shook me a bit because I was like, (laughs) that's a normal sandwich, right? That's basically a plowman's, like, it's not that far off. I can't. Am I wrong? Like, you know what I mean? You start to get that, like, I start, like, having these, like, visual, like, I'm having the, the game loves to flash imagery right in front of you, like, you know, kind of, like, sort of in the kind of psychodrama kind of way. Like, I'm having this flashback to, like, the meal deal shelf at the Little Sainsbury's down the road, and I'm looking, <laughs> um, I can see in the packets, and it's like, that's tuna mayo, that's a BLT, that's a chicken salad sandwich, that's that's ham, cheese, and pickle. This is a sandwich kind that rears and you've given me all the pieces to make it, so why doesn't it work? Anyway, that's my only real problem with the game. Like, yeah. but maybe it's also an incredibly effective piece of horror programming to kind of <laughs> destabilize. Like, here is me standing in the doorway of the fucking chapel, perilous with my my cheese and pickle sandwich, wondering, like, am I, like, like am I, you know, have I simply like gone through my entire life believing that this is normal? I feel like not. I
1: feel like it's sort of you know like. It will turn, you know, the most hippy dippy, um, you know, Glastonbury uh, going uh, Trotskyist into a raving <laughs> um, <laughs> British National Party supporter if you criticise the way he makes a, a cheese and pickle sandwich. Like it's just something as Brits. We absolutely feel we have total command Hang on.
0: of. Am I the am I the debris going hippy dippy Trotskyist in this analogy? Because I'm yeah, yeah, delighted that, if so. Okay. Yeah, yes, yeah,
1: yeah. you are, and you've made a cheese and pickle sandwich as a, as a, as an Englishman is wont to do, and someone's laughed at you for it, and that has transformed you into a uh, a Daily way, Mail uh, reading uh, uh, nationalist nightmare. I can't um, believe
0: it. You're absolutely right. <laughs> Shit. Shit! I've got to phone James O'Brien or something. I don't know. Yes, if you absolutely. Can... <laughs> ring James O'Brien straight away. Oh, fuck! I didn't realise that you oh, can't been... even make
1: a cheese and pickle sandwich these days without someone calling it weird. <laughs> Is it weird? Oh God! I didn't realise <laughs> I thought. That I... Well, the old man thought it was weird. He still I guess... eats it. He does still eat. It. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but I didn't. Which is the real? Which is the real tragedy? <laughs> I made him a BLT in the end. After that, I like a BLT. I mean, that wasn't like a great hardship, if anything. I just felt slightly so guilty that the cheese and pickle sandwich had gone to waste. <laughs> I think my head can, and I ate it because it's a perfectly normal sandwich. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, can't keep saying that over and over again. <laughs> but yeah, I just uh, was that. Was that what the? Did you win your own bet?
1: Yes, I'm I did. That was exactly okay. what I thought you were going to say. Yeah, because yeah. I did exactly because because I did exactly the same thing. What
0: was your sandwich that wasn't was judged as weird? Hmm? But
1: it was it was a cheese and pickle sandwich. I did the same thing. Wow.
0: Yeah. Wow. If someone,
1: if someone, if my nation calls on me to make a sandwich for an old man, <laughs> that is what I make. You know.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's maybe the other way. I mean, just in my defence, our defence, in 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 my, in our defence, we're in this particular context. We are being called to. Um, like to make an old sandwich, an old sandwich to make a sandwich for an old isolated uh, British man. Like it would yeah. be understandable, a farmer. a farmer as well. It would be understandable for, for us to make a, a Brexit adjacent sandwich <laughs> decision in that moment. I, I'm happy to be wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. When you open his, his drawer and there's a pamphlet for the Lib Dems or something, fuck it. I don't know. It's the West country that can happen. Like, yeah. but you know, um, in that moment, uh, was I pandering? Oh Jesus, was I pandering? Oh, they'll never let me back into <laughs> Bristol. Um... <laughs> oh fuck! Well, they will. Um, yeah, you'll be uh, fine. You'll be all right. Yeah, yeah. I am. I'll be absolutely fine. Um... <laughs> just, uh, just go to Games Workshop. Like, all right, let me through. <laughs> oh God, no! Don't do that. I'm like, I know, I'm falling like, uh, like, it's me scratching a white chalk x on the door of the games workshop (laughs) walking away into the rain (laughs) of of castle park in bristol i mean oh god this has gone a bit real for me honestly like um i need to i think there's a there's a reason i don't think about things anymore it's this (laughs) um I hadn't hadn't thought about it. I hadn't thought about it in those terms. I didn't realize that like this was a sign of the the creeping centrism of middle age. I think I simply <laughs> thought the sandwich mechanic was funny. I thought we might get a podcast title out of it. Now I'm in crisis. Yeah, um, yeah. incredible. You're incredible. you're the modern
1: Conservative Party, Labour Party, one of the parties. Oh God, oh God, <laughs> that's that's what they call it now. Did
0: it's you see a... that
1: clip? Did you see that clip that was doing the rounds recently of a quiz show? And the, the contestant asks the question, um, "Which what the uh, the question is, um, what is the collective um, noun for a group of moles, which is also uh, the name of a major political party in the UK?" And the contestant thinks about it and goes, "I'm feeling pretty confident about Liberal Democrats." <laughs> Really That's fucking great. What is the answer? It's Labour, a Labour of Moles. Oh, is it? Yeah, I didn't know that either. But a Liberal oh. Democrat of Moles is just <laughs> is a, a wonderful like... motion.
0: Uh, do you think it's, um like, uh, uh, Bath has a nightclub called Moles, and there's also a Lib Dem safe seat, and now I can't, can't unpick those two things. That's well, not that safe. Um, but yeah, <laughs> incredible. Um... Bath has a nightclub <laughs> called Moles. It's quite, yeah, it's quite famous and it caught fire and that's back. I was in there uh, late last year and I was, uh, I think me and my friends were the oldest people in there by 40 to 70 years. <laughs> uh, it was awful. Um, uh, and we're all in our 30s, which is the remarkable thing about that. Um, um <laughs> Oh man. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny that, uh, I feel so exposed by that sandwich thing. Uh, and, um, but the, yeah, I've enjoyed the, I've enjoyed the rest of the game. Burn house lane. If you were wondering what it is that we'd be talking about. Uh, yeah, I would, I, I like, it's interesting. Cause I think I, I don't know if this is, if this is too much of a, of a, of a, a read, but I get the impression like. um, you said uh, in, in our chat that you thought it would be like a Marmite experience. And I completely kind of agree with that. Um, would you, Well, I guess you have recommended it, but like, would you recommend it to people? That's the kind of, that's the interesting thing to associate that I would put alongside the qualities that you've, you've, you've already pulled out of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I absolutely would recommend it. I mean, I, I, I you know, it hasn't been um, reviewed by any of the, uh, you know, main sort of publications um and i think it does deserve to have a bit more exposure because i do think Mm. you know it it might be a marmite game but i think even if it really annoys you you're going to have fun with it (laughs) like you know there's there's enough kind of sort of grand guignol sort of gore and madness that i think you know that some of the scruffy bits might just you can just sort of laugh them off really like um it's it's deep sense of sort of earnestness and uh, you know that's all fine but there's also you know mad bits um, in monster town <laughs> um, yeah. you know with horrible gribbly things and some really good like supernatural touches that i just i can't imagine anyone you know not enjoying and the the puzzles do that great thing uh, i mean there's a couple of puzzles which annoyed me later on that i had to actually look up like, There was one puzzle that, in, that involved needing to know um, what time of year the game was set in which you can find out but looking on the fridge in the farmhouse but where you are when you need to solve that puzzle is nowhere near <laughs> you can't go mm. there so you just have to remember and i'm an idiot i can't remember so i had to just look up the answer to that one um but generally they the, the puzzle are the kind exactly i like where it's just like do two things <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah do two things in this order and and we'll sort out the rest and, and i always i always enjoyed that as well like it makes me feel clever mm. um when I am as i've stated an idiot so um yeah I, I think i I think everyone should play it really I think it's i think it's a, a real gem um and there's nothing else quite like it yeah so I definitely yeah. would recommend it.
0: Yeah, I think I would as well. I think I think the only the only caveat I would put on it is, I mean, the game itself is kind of plastered in in warnings. But like oh yeah, like there's, it, there's like yeah. two
1: layers of trigger warnings on the title scene that you yeah. have to get
0: through. It's like here's some
1: triggers. You press spacebar. It's like
0: here's some more. <laughs> and I think you need to be ready for like two different uh, tiers of like experience. One is, as you say, the kind of like Grand Guignol, like gore, monster land, kind of horrendousness. And the other is the Kind of bleak depiction of real suffering, right? And so, I can imagine if if either of those are really off-putting to you, probably don't play it because it's yeah, probably, you, it's not, not like one right. cancels out the other. You know what I mean? It's like yeah, well, yeah, you can definitely skip this one yeah. <laughs> if that's if that's your uh, vibe and feel no guilt
1: about it. It was interesting actually. I was thinking about this earlier that we did our um, the first podcast we did together we did on uh, Midnight Mass, mm. um, and then Mike Flanagan did another show uh, in the middle of last year called.
0: Um, Midnight society, yeah,
1: midnight society, something like that, which is like um, uh, a a YA book, a YA series from the sort of nineties, I think. Which someone involved in the show, I think he Flanagan, wrote it with another writer. um, Clearly, really loves, um, and just like all his shows, it's incredibly. It's put together with a lot of sincerity, like Mm. huge amounts of sincerity, which is what for me and I think you as well made part of what made Midnight Mass so good. But in this in The Midnight Club, which is about a sort of basically a hospice for teenagers who are all dying. And it's about them trying to sort of unravel their own mortality in the YA vibe. It just ended up feeling hollow and cheap and Thin in a way mm. that it absolutely didn't mean to, and I don't blame it for it either. And that's why we didn't do another podcast on it because I was like, "Don't bother watching it. <laughs> There's not that much to see here, really." Um, because with that kind of teenage take on things and and take on like mortality and life and death, it's very, very, very hard to say anything meaningful about it. Really, mm. like you're dealing with death, like it's a big. <laughs> Big issue. Um, <laughs> classic you, issues, honestly. It's one of the it's one of the classic top ten issues. Um, <laughs> up the, up, right way up there with sandwiches. I'm glad um, someone's
0: finally said it. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and you got to you got to have something to say, you know, or mm. a way of saying something interesting about it. Um, and that show fails. It just fails to say anything interesting about death and about mortality which is its absolute purpose i think and this game doesn't have anything you know anything particularly interesting to say about it but in the story it tells and the way it tells it it's it's much more successful as as a sort of tale of mortality um uh than than that that show was because you know it it doesn't feel beholden to anything other than its, itself
0: yeah i think i think the other thing is like I really like its aesthetic, but it's something that occurred to me when I was playing it today, actually at, at lunchtime um, was I think it's, it's aesthetic more than anything else reminds me of, you know how in, in, in this country um, an effort has been undertaken to make cigarette packets deliberately unappe- unappealing. Mm-hmm. So they're all like a kind of green, Brown, gold color with a warning label that will have like a pretty grotesque picture on it of like a, their cancerous growth, a, a vein full of tar, an eyeball or, like, a sick child. Like, they're pretty grotesque th- and they're pretty, you know, horrendous. That, I think, is, like, a good <laughs> kind of touch point for, like, what this game can feel like at times. Like, the really, you know, it, it, that kind of deliberately off-putting sense of, you know, kind of um, bleak too well-lit kind of grotesque side of life if that makes sense yes Um, it's funny because the the people
1: in it and the characters in it for the most part look you know very much like you know most of the people i encounter (laughs) they're just like like real people it's like mm. normal people but in a game that obviously renders them as kind of grotesques because we're so used to seeing people being incredibly you know shiny and and well put together but actually Mm. it, it, it gives this kind of hyper real quality um that is that kind of yeah, situates it there really well.
0: Yeah, completely. Um and like the sort of that, that paper doll animation combined with that is also very uncanny, um, at times, you know. Um yeah, well lots I could say about it. It'd be quite a fun one to talk about with spoilers in some ways, but maybe we should simply talk about it when I've finished it. Yes. Um I have another game that I was gonna talk about if 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 that's all right uh is it
1: is it a dark and existential meditation on the nature of life and death
0: i feel like this is the uh other slice of bread to go on the other side of the sandwich we've been making in this podcast put it the darkness sandwich the darkness sandwich yeah we've we've found our kind of um bleak horrific kind of slice of meaning and we've sandwiched it between two pieces of the whitest bread you can find (laughs) Um, fucking yeah, just absolute big, big, thick cut, machine cut slices of bread. In this case, actually, I will say, high fi rush is a slice of bread has a bit of character and spice to so it. It's like a piece of tiger bread or something. You know what I mean? Like a treat. Um,
1: Chris, I'm scared. This is a frightening sandwich you're describing. <laughs> Where one side is tiger bread. What's
0: yeah, they got tiger bread. Then we have despair, <laughs> and then we have look. I, I've learned that I can't be judged anymore, right <laughs> last time I built a sandwich, I drifted rightwards with alarming speed. This is a sandwich having a nightmare about itself. <laughs> right yeah um, yeah, this is a, this is a sandwich that um, um, well it's it's incomplete because I have yet to, to reveal the final <laughs> slice of bread, which is also a mechanic in this game. Um, so I am about to flip. Marvel Snap onto the table. <laughs> a machine cut slice of perfectly square American bread. I assume they have that. Um, and this is it. Um, so when I said that I've been lying sideways on the ground for a lot of the last two months, just sort of looking at my phone, this is what I was doing with a lot of that time. I was playing Marvel Snap. Um, And actually, I think it's really good with some caveats. I think the reasons it might annoy or off-put people are completely the opposite for the reasons people might be annoyed or off-put by Burnhouse Lane. I feel like in some ways, this sandwich we've built has something for everybody, by which I mean it makes sense for no one. But like (laughs) we could all nibble a different corner of it and hopefully come away hungry but not offended. Um, yes, which Perhaps is
1: if yeah. not outright satiated, the promise of future sandwiches, um, just just on the edge of our tongues.
0: Right, we're doing it like we'll, we'll learn maximally what we don't like and do like at the same time. Which is not really how that works. It's not sandwiches and a great vehicle for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, um, uh, yeah. Um, so Marvel Snap is a card game, a card, uh, it's an collectible card game by um, Second Dinner, which is a studio founded by Ben Brode and several of the other Hearthstone team, after Hearthstone. Um, it's obviously a Marvel game, but very much rooted in the comics. Um, rather, this is why there's like a segue from a long time ago, but there's several There's a uh, rooted in the comics um, rather than the the movie properties, um, which gives it a lot greater breadth. It gives it plenty of X-Men, if you're wondering about that. Um, Have you played it at all, Jamie, or should I explain from first principles? Uh,
1: I have played it, and uh, me and Tom uh, spoke about it on a previous pod.
0: Ah, you did? Well, in that case, I will not go. Yes, of course you did. I'm blanking out completely. I won't go into too much detail then in that case, except to say that um, I've been really, like... um, I think the... To draw at one quality that I think it has, I've been kind of surprised over time by how... Uh compelling I still find it. Like, um I suppose so this would be my kind of my question to you, I suppose. Have you kept playing it or have you subsequently drifted away from it?
1: I have drifted away.
0: Mm-hmm. What would you kind of attribute that to?
1: Um my mutant ability to go out of phase with reality.
0: No, um, um
1: I <laughs> a la Shadow Cat. No, um I No good reason. Like I was mm-hmm. really enjoying it, and I, I'm I'm also very confident I will go back. Like again, it's a bit like that feeling with Hi-Fi Rush, where like I'd had my fill of it, um, but it wasn't there wasn't any anxiety involved in my decision to sort of step away from it for a while. It's actually a confidence knowing that I can go back without having missed too much, mm. which is the absolute opposite of the way I've often felt about any kind of collectible-based uh, game.
0: Yeah yeah it's interesting because i've definitely like hit the point of like maximum grind with it now like i don't know what like what yardstick this is but like my collection level is up in the 900s or something ludicrous and um that means that like i don't have lost a little bit of control over how my kind of collection of cards expands but what i am finding kind of impressive about it um i'm kind of glad that i don't have to explain it from first principles but i think one way to understand it is like as given that I was the person who defended Artifact to the Hilt for ages, it's it's kind of nice that someone's come along and made Baby Artifact and made it work, <laughs> um, like a three-lane card game where you just have to win two lanes to win. Um, what I'm finding kind of consistently enjoyable about it is, um, and I, I, I don't know if, if you, you and Tom touched on this, but it's rare for me to find a card game that is willing to play quite and fast as loose as it is with um, presenting you with, for example, unwinnable situations, and you know, basically, the, what the game is is a huge pile of game mechanics, right? Like earlier when you said that your alt was to consume every, you know, the smartphone chicken nugget kind of moment, that could be a card effect in <laughs> in in Marvel Snap. You know, we reveal that card, and every chicken nugget is vanishes, and that would be like what it's capable of doing which i think so many games like this are incapable of doing or unwilling to do is have that just create chaos within a sandbox right based on tons of different scenarios and something i found myself kind of really consistently enjoying about it is how um many bizarre situations it creates um and that it asks you to kind of strategize your your way around or out of and it's crucially the combination between like, obviously the deck building element and the way your deck might be planning to play the game and then the cards you draw and then the locations that get revealed. So, you know, to kind of recap in case people, you know, uh, didn't listen to the previous discussion, your goal is to kind of have the biggest score on your side of a lane. You're only like able to have four cards in play at any given time in a lane, six turns maximum and then the lanes themselves will all have special rules that are revealed one after another in the first 3 turns which can be completely like um insane like the most extreme example is um if you had a game where you've encountered ego the living planet um, <laughs> no not yet ego the living planet plays both plays the game he plays both sides and he <laughs> both players lose the ability to play cards Amazing, And so the game becomes because it has the kind of gamble, the gambling, not gambling mechanic, but the pushy luck mechanic where you can, you know, you can snap to double the points you'll either win or lose winning the game. And then your opponent can snap if they think they're actually going to win and double it again suddenly you're in a situation where your cards in your hand are being played by the AI for you. <laughs> and you can only try and look at your opponent across the you know, the narrow range of emojis available to you and try and gauge if they think it's going well or not. And that's wild. I haven't seen any game do something like that. It's really fun. Today I had a really funny one, actually right before recording this, where the first space revealed was the Space Throne. And this, the rule of the Space Throne is every play, each player can only ever have one card there. And it's so limited, you can't even move a card there from elsewhere, right? You know, you, you can only have one card there. And so obviously, neither of us play a card there on turn one because we're gonna to have to save for our bigger cards later on because if we each only get one card it might as well be like a big hitter for me that might be devil dinosaur the dinosaur that gets bigger the more cards you have in your hand oh, I love I love that's one of my favorite cards I uh, think. I've I got them very shiny now I've leveled them up a lot um he's <laughs> shiny he'd be a, text he'd be a, he'd be a perfect candidate for uh, for the space throne but then the next <laughs> the next location revealed is fucking Central Park in new york what central park does is deploy one squirrel to every other location <laughs> so now both of us fucking are staring at two squirrels on the space throne just and that's the space throne fucked because now <laughs> there's two squirrels on it um and but then my opponent plays cloak a lesser known marvel character that i think maybe briefly had a television show um mm-hmm. And cloak allows everyone to move a car- move cards to cloaks location on both both players on the next turn, and I had to be like send the little thanks emoji to the other thing because he basically allowed us to both evacuate the squirrels from the space throne.
1: <laughs> yeah, I see. Yeah, opening
0: right. up, opening up the the, the possibility uh, for a future kind yes. of like um, contest for that space, and it was like. That's a genuine memory. Like card games, particularly digital card games, are quite bad for me at like creating like really memorable moments like that. But I remembered that one, and like, and that's not just because it happened several hours ago. It's because it's funny. And like, <laughs> there was another one recently, also very squirrel based, which was like we had a Central Park. There's so many th- funny. Th- so the other one that really gets me all the time is the Washington D.C. rule: is if a card doesn't have any rules on it, like as in if like the theme is supposed to be like normal people are more Powerful at Washington, D.C., the (laughs) capital of Earth. And, and, um, but this is interacts slightly weirdly with the cards in the game that actually don't have rules because they include like Cyclops. And it's like, you know, you know, President Cyclops, um, a normal man, (laughs) um, and his laser eyes. Um, (laughs) but the two most common neutral cards in the game are fucking squirrels
1: because (laughs) of
0: both Central Park and the character Squirrel Girl who spawns squirrels in the other lanes and rocks because there's loads of things that can spawn rocks. Korg can spawn rocks. Uh, Debris puts rocks everywhere. There's several locations that cause rocks to be added to your deck. And the other one is individual pieces of vibranium. And so, (laughs) so you can end up in a scenario where like, There's quite a powerful corpus forming in Washington, DC of some squirrels, a rock and a piece of vibranium, (laughs) all getting tons of bonus points simply by being in DC. And that's very funny. But a little while ago, um, I had a very squirrel centric game because my opponent was really like lots of cards that boost cards that are very weak that cost one energy, basically. And so they had like loads of different ways to boost them loads of ways to layer buffs on them loads of combos to kind of trigger buffs multiple times and they got this scenario where it was like fucking squirrel again squirrels everywhere and they were all leveled up to like six or seven power each and i'd spent the entire game sitting on uh killmonger uh who's the villain in the first black panther movie if you're kind of unfamiliar with the character otherwise and his rule is he when he plays he kills every single one cost card on both sides and i was just sat on him for the entire game knowing that it didn't matter how many points i had because i could wipe out 60 points of power for my opponent at any time and so i was just snapping until it got really high and it felt fucking amazing like deploying that and he throws like a big heavy knife into like every card because the effects are really cool (laughs) yeah and watching that like watching the game hang because there were so many squirrels dying at the same time in Washington D.C. Yeah. Um. And then the it hang for a bit, stutter, and then say your opponent has retreated was like kind of like yeah, like knowing that somewhere <laughs> in the world someone was like, I've got this one in the bag. I finally pulled off my perfect squirrel combo. Oh no, it's Eric Killmonger, <laughs> or whatever. He's killed all my squirrels. Classic Marvel moments. Absolutely. You know what I mean? He's absolutely murdered all my squirrels. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah. uh, There's a fun one at the moment where I've been running a deck with death in it. And the way death works is she's very powerful, but she starts at like nine energy. Like you could never play her, um, even when she's in your deck. But she gets cheaper for everything that dies in the game. Um, so my deck, that's actually the deck that has Killmonger in it, you know, kill Lud Things, you can make it free even if you if it goes well enough. And at the moment, they'll like rotate specific locations in and out, and at the moment there's a special location. I think it's called like the collapsing mine or something. And the way it starts is both sides have are full of rocks. They love rocks. Both sides are full of rocks at the start of the game. Of course. What, the
1: Marvel is a, is a yeah. fixture
0: of the Marvel Universe yeah. for decades now. Yeah, rocks. Yeah. rocks. Um, <laughs> both sides are full of rocks when the place is revealed. And um, the mechanic is if you pass a turn, like you pass without spending any of your energy or playing a card, um, a big pickaxe will destroy all the rocks on your side. Right, So if it's like the first location revealed, you probably pass your first turn, but the the cost benefit of passing a turn depends on what turn it is and how much energy you're actually wasting by doing that, etc. But what I've discovered, which is very funny, is those rocks being destroyed counts as something dying for the purpose of death, the manifestation of death. So (laughs) what can happen is that appears on the first turn both players wipe them out that reduces death's cost by eight to one and then she shows up on the second turn and suddenly have this ridiculously overpowered card and it's like that's super cool that that's possible now and becomes this quality of this like weak but it will go away as soon as that location is less prevalent that's just super cool to me like i've got a lot of questions about its business model because i have found myself pretty tempted to buy some real shite um but that means it's working on me um but yeah, like it's been, it's, it's, I've played a lot of like auto battlers and card games on my phone. I do like them, but it's, it's, I'm surprised. I'm consistently surprised and impressed by how it's capable of generating these really compelling little interactions that tell small stories. And that's kind of what I want from something like this, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I remember I tried to get into uh, Magic the Gathering recently when they mm. um, when they made it kind of quite easy to play online. And I watched a little sort of someone on YouTube talking about, um, uh, uh, you know, you know well, it was like a little primer on how to get into Magic because obviously Magic is this insanely complicated game. But what they said yeah. was the secret about Magic, like this kind of secret that they have, is that um, when you're learning the game, you'll still win sometimes and you'll feel clever doing it. Um, which sort of helped unlock the game because I found that when I played it, yes, that does happen, actually. Like, I'm playing against someone random online and I do something and it's a, it's not me, like, lucking my way into a, into a win. It's, it's, it's me, you know, cleverly doing something. Yeah. Um, and I feel like a lot of these card games since then kind of live and die on how well they emulate that experience. Mm. And I think that Marvel Snap, like is is by far and away the best at kind of bringing that to you again and again and again um and sort of teaching you the game that way as well um yeah i just think it's i think you know artifact didn't do that and marvel snap absolutely does and i think that's why um it's done so well because it because it gives you these little puzzles to solve um that aren't you know as you're learning the game and i'm sure it's to do with how you match made as well but still it just gives you a route through that for someone like me is, is extraordinarily, you know, just gives me confidence as a player rather than like making me feel like I need to, you know, go and watch a whole bunch of YouTube videos about it um, and try and optimize my deck and try and like look up decks online. Like I didn't do any of that stuff when I was playing. I just really enjoyed experimenting and trying things out. And, and, you know, even when you fail, it's quite funny, (laughs) you know, especially if you, especially if you fail by, you know, you have that moment where you're like, "Oh, I've got my complete clutch move I can pull here, boom!" You know, and then someone pulls something out of the bag at the last minute, like you did with your with your with your uh, many knived squirrel apocalypse. Uh, yeah, exactly. And that's just, yeah, it's great. I think it's, I think it's um, so impressive on that count. Mm. Um, yeah,
0: absolutely. It's interesting. It's like it's interesting because it. I mean, dare I say it? Like, it has that quality that I love about. In some extent that quality i love about something like dota which is like pure systems chaos right like not feeling balanced necessarily but being kind of willing to kind of exist in that chaos space so much so that individual games feel unrepeatable and that's like quite rare particularly rare in something as like i say like as white bread as this yeah um I guess yeah. The the final thing that like the, the the there's a there's a new location they added called the rickety bridge, which is the <laughs> funniest thing to the funniest ones. So, are, like, I love the distinction of like this is the space throne, this is hell, this is the rickety bridge. Um, the way the rickety bridge works is if there are two cards there, they both the more two or more cards there, everyone dies, and that's on both sides. So <laughs> if if you know if your opponent puts a card there and you put a card there, both your cards die, and obviously that. It creates some slightly weird interactions, like Colossus can't be destroyed. So for some reason, a metal man will always be safe on the rickety bridge, don't understand that. But I did find a very funny thing, which is, and I often now, because of the prevalence of rickety bridge, always make sure I've got sabertooth in my deck. Because sabertooth's thing is, he if he dies, he goes back to your hand and costs zero, which means that Sabretooth becomes an incredible utility when you're fighting over a rickety bridge, because you send him there to die, then he comes back and you get all He costs zero now. So you just always send him back to the rickety bridge and it really pisses people off, I imagine. Like I can <laughs> yeah, imagine, because weird. every time you put anyone on the rickety bridge, fucking Sabretooth comes back and collapses the bridge again. And that's also very funny to me. Like I would read that comic where it's <laughs> yeah, just, his, his job is just to keep pushing people into a ravine and then yeah. falling in it himself.
1: I'd read, like, a 60-part Grant Morrison comic, which was just that happening over and over
0: again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) The rickety bridge is a metaphor. Um... (laughs) It's it's funny, we were talking... Something about, like, you know, the fact that, like,
1: Artifact, which was this big, unwieldy, you know, big-ass game on several screens at once and and playing it. You know, we were talking right at the start of this about, like, you know, pre-schism, our imaginings Mm. of what video games would be. (laughs) And you talked about, like, you know one of the things that I think we did imagine back then um, is this notion of like information overload, right? Like you'd have someone gets too much put into their brain and they go crazy. And, you know, that's a kind of science fiction trope. um, You know, you get, you, you, you put too much, too much knowledge juice into this brain and now it's broken. But like what we didn't anticipate is that you can, you can absolutely correct for that by just having smaller screens, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, like if you just have a little screen and then have a lie down while you're playing it, you can absolutely avoid, um, you know, being plugged into the matrix and experiencing it all in one instant and being driven insane by it, um,
0: because it's just little in it, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I and think I think a... it does help in Marvel's stuff, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a bit in. I think it might be a. It might be a Warren Ellis. Um, Iron Man book can't remember Iron Man comic Uh, Apologies to the author if not where uh, to demonstrate how smart Tony Stark is he is playing like I don't know seven to ten simultaneous games of chess with Reed Richards or you know Mr. Fantastic (laughs) and on like hollow chess you know etc like across you know and they're both in their various mind palaces and you're right the actual way to illustrate that would be like they're just both in bed staring at their phones (laughs) <laughs> Playing you, can with any- you can cope with anything that's on your phone that's you not true absolutely-
1: well no it's, it's <laughs> actually the opposite of true it's demonstrably false yeah um but sometimes it's easier to look at something on your phone than it is to go outside and deal with the world i mean that's also true that is very true
0: yeah and then i've certainly evidenced that as i just like in- impulsively like kind of lie sideways and then play marvel snap for a while until i mean I- what what is twitter if not a kind
1: of filtered version of reality (laughs) designed to uh, um well drive everyone insane and cause wars
0: (laughs) yeah the problem with twitter is it's not a six move game that then ends if it was we'd all be fine (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh on that note yes i think that might be all of the uh podcast we've got time for yep yes yeah I i think so I was going to I was about to say, I think I need to go make myself a sandwich, except I don't think I can do that anymore without becoming a class traitor of some kind. Like, I don't know, like, by what, what angle I can kind of regain a kind of sandwich praxis that I'm willing to accept. <laughs> um, that's just something for me to ruminate on in the weeks and months to come. Um, uh, <laughs> if you would like to find more episodes much like this one, you can find them... At CreightonCrowbar.com on our website. You can also find them on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Creighton Crowbar. You can find the Creighton Crowbar community on Discord, a uh, link for which is on our website at CreightonCrowbar.com. And thank you, thank you as ever to our Patreon supporters. Uh, you can find out more about supporting the podcast at patreon.com forward slash Creighton Crowbar. Uh, and we're on Twitter. At Creighton Crowbar as well. Really, in many ways, based on the thing Jamie had just said, the logical segue would have been to me talking about our Twitter, but I didn't. I did it last, and that's just one of many decisions I'll I'll stew over in the other place I'm about to go, uh, by which I mean the bathroom. You put uh, it in the uh, you put it in
1: the segue archive um, file rather than the segue discard. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, it returned to my hand.
1: I play card games. I play card games. Yeah, <laughs>
0: I play so <laughs> many card yard. games. Yeah, uh, yes. Uh, snap! He yelled. Um, immediately winning the game. Uno or something. Uno. Oh, oh no! Oh uh, no! Let's not and shan't. Uh, cool. I've been Chris Thurston. I've been James Britton. And this was an episode of a podcast. Thanks, Thanks for, listening. for listening, everybody.
1: <laughs> Give it some heat. Love it.